Well, Father, we come to you again uh, with the only reason we can even approach your holy throne is, is by Jesus Christ, your holy Son, who has made us holy by his righteousness and by his work on the cross. And God, we couldn't repay you for that, but Lord, we can remain with you. We can dwell with you, abide with you, which we know from the scriptures is your intention and desire for us to remain, to stay, to abide. And God, you take the responsibility for our obedience. You take the responsibility for all the things that is required of us. You do this by your grace. And Lord God, we, we submit, we surrender to your way of doing things. God, I pray that, that this heart of surrender, this heart of, of doing what you ask, and not what we think we should do, but what you say, God, that that heart would abound in us. God, because our way produces so much trouble. Our way produces wrecks. God, but let us just surrender to your way. Even as we drive on these slick streets, if we were to just ignore all the boundaries, Father, it would, it would produce wrecks. But God, is, if we stay where we're supposed to be, abide in the lane where we're supposed to be, Father, you protect us and you, you provide what we need. God, we couldn't thank you enough, but... We do thank you. We ask, God, that the, your word would be alive and active for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So Genesis chapter 4, I'm not your friend anymore. It begins and it says, Now Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore, then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So there we have Adam and Eve coming up with this name for Cain, saying, I've acquired a man from the Lord, and I want to, to give you a little reminder of what had happened before. They had sinned, and then God said, I'm going to give you a son, a seed. Someone from your seed is going to redeem you. He's going to save you. And so Adam and Eve have a son after that. And you know what they think? They think Cain is going to be the one to redeem them. So he's, they're naming, they, I've acquired a man from the Lord, and they're so excited. And then they, they have Abel. And his name literally means vapor or mist, or in, in another rendering, disappointed. Saying, well, that first one didn't work out. <laughs> and so they start to get this idea that the redemption that God's planning is going to take a little while. It's going to take a little while. It's a process that God's going to be beginning. And so they have these two sons. And it says, verse 3, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. All right, so let's, let's dig into this. The offerings. Why in the world did God accept Abel and not Cain? As I was growing up, I never really got that. I, I would read the story, I would hear the story, and I'd be like, why is God so picky? Why is he so picky? Isn't fruit just as 
yummy as meat? I mean, is he really that much of a carnivore that he, he says, no, I want, I want you to sacrifice an animal just because I like it better? No, but the answer is not that. It's not just God being picky. God is very concerned with the way things are done. And it's not because he's being overbearing. His rules are not burdensome. No, he has a very specific illustration that he wants pointed out. See, Cain, when he brought the fruit, he, I guess, was a farmer. And he, he, as, he as he harvested this fruit and he filled up some buckets to bring to the Lord, because he wanted this relationship with God, but, but he was doing it through this fruit. He, he brought what he produced. In his mind, he's thinking, I have brought what I have produced what I have cultivated, what I have spent time on and put effort into. This is the work of my flesh. This is the work of my flesh. It sounds good, but it builds up pride. And what do we know about pride? It's bad, right? The world is trying to build up people's self-esteem. That's what they do in school. But in God's economy, in the truth of the spiritual world, pride makes you an enemy of God. He says in James 4, 6, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. Because I quote it every week, right? James 4, 6. Also, 1 Peter 5, 5 quotes the same verse, which is just quoting from Psalm, I think, 34 or 37. And so God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if we have a relationship with God, Cain is trying to have this relationship with God where he's producing stuff, he's cultivating stuff, he's working for it, and then he can bring something and say, hey, God, how do you like that? And it's really, God's not impressed. It's just cultivating an attitude and a heart of pride, of pride. Abel didn't do that. Abel slit the throat of a sheep. It's hard to watch an animal die. Like we learned last week, Fluffy the lamb. Remember? Imagine Adam's, uh, we, we, we learned about Adam's connection with the animals. He named them, he was responsible for them, and then God goes and kills one and makes him clothing out of it. As a reminder that sin brings death. But God would be willing to cover that, but it would take death of an innocent being. Very interesting. So Abel, he killed an animal. It was sad. It's hard to watch your animal die. Like my son, John. I've told this story once before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's just awesome. We got John a pet fish, a beta fish, because they're cheap. And we're cheap, but... We got him this betta fish. He named him Walt Disney, which if you know John, is perfect because he loves Disney and Pixar and he knows everything about it. So he named his fish Walt Disney. And a few weeks go by and we're feeding the fish and the fish, he, he goes and sees him every once in a while. And John's kind of interested, kind of not interested. And John has autism. And so it's, it's a, you know, he, he gets kind of fixated on things sometimes, but he really liked his fish. He would go and he would talk to him, have conversations with him. Like, hey, Walt Disney, how are you doing today? So a couple weeks go by, and all of a sudden one day we're like, the fish is dead. 
why is the fish, uh, okay, I know fish die, but I said, hey, John, your fish is dead. And he's like, I know. And I'm like, oh, why are you crying? What's wrong, buddy? It's okay. Well, we can get another fish. It's okay. He's like, I took him out to pet him. And I was like, what? You can't pet a fish, buddy. He's like, I know, but I just wanted to pet him. I, I liked him. And, and then he died in my hand, so I put him back in. <laughs> And it was so sad. It was so sad. And John's heart was just broken because his fish was, was dead. So we didn't end up getting another fish. But it's not, the, the thing is, is it's not a prideful thing to kill an animal, at least not naturally. You know, it, it causes us to, to see life dying. And to see that death is not okay in us. And you would think maybe that the fruit would be chosen by the Lord, but it wasn't. And Hebrews chapter 11 gives us some insight as to what's going on here. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So somehow, well not somehow, by faith Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. Now that kind of gave away the end of our story, but Abel does die, and we'll see that here in a minute. Well, where does this faith come from? Why was Abel's sacrifice and his offering different? It was this faith. Well, faith, we know in the Bible, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. You guys are so Bible scholars. I love it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So looking at God, believing what God said, and that he meant what he said when he said it. Instruction was given to Cain and Abel, probably by Adam, maybe by the Lord himself, about how to have a relationship with him, and it had to do with a sacrifice. Abel did what God asked. Cain tried to find a better way. Cain thought that his way was better than God's way. Abel just said, God said it, so I'm going to do it. I may not understand it. I may not get it. I, I might not even agree with it. But faith says, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. They both wanted a relationship with God. That's why they were going to meet with him. One succeeded and one failed. And many people in our city and in our church and in churches around this city, they want a relationship with God too, but they're failing. Why? God does not accept fruit as a sin offering. That's not how you can start with God. He does accept fruit offerings later in the ceremonial life of Israel, just not to forgive sin. It's never to forgive sin. This happens in the church all the time. People come to God and they present their fruit to him in hopes that they will be accepted by their good works, their good deeds, their actions. They say, I go to church and you know what? I had a pretty good week this week. I helped an old lady cross the street. I didn't cheat on my tests or I didn't steal time at work or whatever. They, they say, God must accept me now because of how I performed the fruit in my life, the works that my life show, that must bring me acceptance. But it never works. It's only bondage. Self-reliance is bondage, the word says. 
trusting in what you can do and produce is a never-ending black hole of failure. And it happens so frequently, and, you, and here's how it plays out. People, they start like that, and they say, okay, I'm going to bring my, my fruit to the Lord, my fruit to the Lord, and God says, I'm, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. And so they have this hole inside them of, I'm not right with God still, because their relationship, they fail the next day, they fail the next week, and so they're, they have this up and down relationship with God, and I'm doing good, and I'm not doing good, I'm doing good, I'm not doing good, and then they get tired of the whole rigmarole. I don't, is that a word? Just came up with it. They, they get tired and they don't like a relationship that's so dependent on their failures and their successes. But they don't see any, any other options in the church because they come and they hear a message from a pastor that says, do better, perform better, without giving them the, the tools to do that, which is grace. Abide with Christ and you will do better. Abide in him and there will be fruit, as he says in John 15. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And all these multitudes in churches, they are, they're living this life of Cain, where they're bringing their offerings week after week after week, but they're not experiencing the victory or the acceptance or God's power in their life, the power of that fellowship with the Lord. They don't experience it. And what, that's why we, we desire to be a church that teaches them the new covenant of grace, where God provides what you need through sac his sacrifice. Abel, he offered his gift in faith that there was a sacrifice, that blood would cover his sin. And then it says in Hebrews that his, his death would speak of more. So, you know, we always need to approach God based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That has to be the foundation of our relationship with God. The reason why approaching God based on our works and based on our fruit doesn't work is because the starting point is so far away from God. We start from a place of sin, right? That's where we start. We start from this place where we're outside of God's presence. And since sin is the opposite of God, we are pretty much as far from God as you could possibly get. So that distance has to be eliminated before anything we do matters. That distance has to be eliminated. So does that mean you have to go on a long journey to, dist to eliminate that distance? No. You take one glance of faith towards the cross and it's gone. That distance is completely erased when we have a foundation of the cross, the sacrifice. That's why Abel works. Sin is serious and it needs this blood sacrifice. And when we do things the Lord's way, we can be a part of the picture he's painting for the world to see. And that's exactly what happened in Abel's life. You might think, well, Abel's life was kind of brief. In fact, his name means vapor or short or unimportant. But it wasn't, is it? Abel's life mattered because he became a picture. And for all generations that have ever read the word of God or heard this story, they have been ministered to by Abel's faithfulness. Abel was able to be a part of the work, a part of the painting that God was painting. Maybe God doesn't have a long life planned for you or me. 
Maybe he doesn't have a successful career in store for you. Or a huge mega church for me. Maybe he doesn't have an easy marriage for you. Maybe he doesn't have a son or daughter or children that are going to be easy. You know, having a, having a son that has autism is a big challenge. And when you get that news, when you first hear about it, it's scary. And you're like, wait a second, so my whole life I'm going to be dealing with this. Maybe God doesn't have an easy life in store for us. None of that means, however, that we're not exactly where God wants us to be and that we can't play a huge role in God's showing the people here on earth his love and grace. But you have to see it that way. If I were to look at my life and I were to look at having an autistic son or having six kids or, or all these difficulties that, that I have to face and you guys have all the same things and even more, if I were to look at those things and be like, man, I just, I'd rather have it easy, I'm not going to be able to be a part of what God is doing. God has appointed these things for me. And so he'll supply everything I need in Christ Jesus. And it might not be what I wanted or hoped, but it will be what he uses. And when we surrender to that, when we surrender that our life is not our own, but we've been bought with a price, then we're freed up to be able to love our life, be able to love the challenges and be a part of, like Abel here, be a part of God's amazing story. That's how this applies into our life. I want to be a picture of Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me more than I want to be comfortable or more than I want a successful ministry. I just want people to see Jesus. Do you? Amen. Cain is going to live a longer life than Abel. Spoiler. He's going to live a longer life. But whose life matters more? Obviously, it's Abel's. Well, let's keep reading in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God accepts that animal offering that, Cain, that Abel offered, a lamb for a man. He gave it of his flock. It was a lamb. Okay, he accepted that. It covered Abel's sin. He had a right relationship with God. And it's interesting, in the, in the Bible, it keeps this right on going. Later, we're going to see a lamb for a family, when God starts dealing with Abraham, he sacrifices a lamb at that point and it covers his family and God respects that sacrifice. Later, when the children of Israel grow and they're in Egypt and God is bringing them out and he has Moses sacrifice a lamb for what? The nation. The whole nation is covered by a lamb. And then, of course, we get to the New Testament and Jesus Christ becomes the lamb that covers the whole world. Whoever would come. Whoever would come. So many wonderful parallels in there. What if an Israelite didn't put the blood of the lamb on their fence post? Well, then he wasn't saved. 
Just because he was born into the family didn't mean he was saved. He had to, by faith, put the blood on his doorposts. Then he would be saved. Well, just like Jesus, he is, all they had to do was apply the blood and they would be saved in Israel or in Israel and Egypt. And the same thing is true with every human being in the world today. All they'd have to do is apply the blood into their lives and they would be saved. Well, Abel, he was accepted because of a lamb. Cain's offering was dead religion. Abel's offering was from faith. Cain gets angry because God didn't accept his offering, which shows how his pride was overwhelming in his life. He was embarrassed, which comes from pride. He was angry, which comes from pride. All these things, pride was just overwhelming him like a cup overflowing with it. And if your spiritual life or your relationship with God brings you down and doesn't lift you up, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing exactly what Cain did. When our relationship with God is hammering us down and we're feeling like, I didn't do it. I'm not accepted. I have failed again. We are the ones doing it wrong. God is not doing that. God is offering his hand, lifting up, never beating us down. Now, it doesn't mean you don't get a spirit of conviction. But the conviction drives us to what? Repent, to lift our eyes, come up, and then accept your worth and what God does in you, God, what God does for you. When we sin, it's just another avenue to get back to Jesus if you have a humble heart. But Cain, he gets angry. Jesus provides, not demands. Jesus provides, not demands. When he says, do what's right, he means, stop trying to prove yourself to me and just start accepting what I have given to you and provided for you. Stop trying and start accepting. Surrendering to his way of relationship that has to be based on blood sacrifice. Where he does what we, what we need and we abide. He provides, we receive. He works, we trust. He dies and lives for us, and we die to ourselves and let him live in and through us. Depression. Man, it's such a buzzword in the world today. Depression, and, and believers struggle with it. Unbelievers, it's an epidemic. I could throw statistics out there that say everyone in the world is depressed. But it's first mentioned here. And we see the cause and the solution right here. We see the cause and the solution. When someone is depressed, their countenance falls, right? God says, why are you bitter? Why are you angry? If you do what's right, you will be lifted up. Life by faith and not your own efforts is what will lift you up. It's freedom. A life of faith is freedom. A life of faith will encourage you, lift you up. But if you don't, if you want to try to prove yourself to God and try to be worthy enough to have a relationship with him, sis, he says sin lies at the door. If you choose to continue doing things your way, you're going to be eaten for lunch, wiped out, destroyed. Depression is not really about the chemical imbalance. It's about the sin. And I'm not saying that chemical imbalances aren't real, but I'm saying that they're a, a consequence of the sin. 
The root problem is the sin. Psychology twists everything around, guys. Modern psychology keeps us away from what we really need, which is God. Modern psychology say you need to go back and figure out these things and fix yourself before you come into a right relationship. And God says, just come to me. I'll fix all that. Trust what I have done. There is nothing you can do to fix your psyche, your soul. But my blood surely can. And I've promised it to whoever would come to me. Sin causes physical problems like chemical imbalances, mental problems, depression. And if you don't forgive, if you're angry, you will have consequences. That's just what happens. Many times, the medicine covers up the problems and not actually fixes things. That's the big reason why alcohol is abused in our world. I, I give you homework. We don't have time to do it right now, but I want you to go to Psalm 32. And, and I'm dead serious. Go to Psalm 32 and look at how God wants us to not cover up things, but to just be honest and come to him. So write down Psalm 32 and go home and read it and spend some time there and see what the Lord shows you. So here's a joke for you. How long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was able. Now Cain talked with his brother Abel. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what, you, what have you done? The voice of your bro brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So this is the first murder. And I get it. Cain basically says, I tried so hard to make things right with God, and you just trusted in this blood of a lamb, and God accepts you. I worked for hours harvesting and planting and all this stuff, and all you did is take this sheep and kill it and bring that. Are you serious? I did better. I did more. I should have been accepted. Why you? Why are you so special? Now I'm just angry. I'll show you who's boss. I'm your big brother. And Abel's like, yeah, I'm pretty weak and feeble. I have nothing that's as strong or as great as you. I just trust the thing that God told me to do. I really don't deserve it, but that's grace, bro. Free, unearned favor given to whoever asks. And so Cain killed him. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, it gives us more insight into this story. In Hebrews 12, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Man, Abel's all throughout the Bible. This story is so important for us to understand. Abel is a picture of Jesus. You know, they were both shepherds. Abel's got his flock, and Jesus has his flock. They both offered a sacrifice pleasing to their father. They were both hated by their brother or brothers in Jesus' case. Both of their blood was spilled, but their blood speaks two different things, the Bible says. Abel's blood cries out something, and it cries out condemnation. God said to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me. 
condemnation. But here in Hebrews it says Jesus' blood cries out something different, something better, and that's salvation. It cries out salvation. Wow, this is amazing. The parallels here, the, the difference, but yet the similarities are incredible. So let's look now at verse 11. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand, which you, when you till the, ground, till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. So what was good in Cain's life is now cursed. So here you have God just being a jerk again. No, and we talked about that last week. God is not being a jerk God is not just throwing out curses. Two weeks ago, we learned about how Jesus is willing to take every curse that God dishes out. And he does for everyone who would accept it. He accepts those curses on our behalf. Now, we learned last week that God does curse. He does bring a curse. And this week, we see that God is not mean. He's not, he's not trying to, to just kick Cain out. God is trying to free him from his self-reliance. God is trying to free him from what has caused all of this, which is Cain's pride, thinking that he could do it. And so God says, I'm going to take away from you the things that you were good at, the things that caused you to be prideful, the things that you twisted around to be prideful. I'm going to take those things away. Now, is that being mean? Actually, no. I think that's God's deep love. That he was willing to hurt Cain's production and his virility if he could get his heart. God is still trying to get Cain to love him. To love him. That's what God is always about. So verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So here we get to the point where Cain is basically saying, God, I'm not your friend anymore then. I don't want to be your friend. I'm taking my ball and going home. But God deflated his ball, so he takes his nothing and leaves. See, the thing that he had, that he was good at, his ability to farm, God took it away. And so he said, you know what? You've driven, you've done this. You're a jerk. I'm out of here. I don't want to know you anymore, God. And he's just being a brat. And all he's thinking about is himself. He's like, this is greater than I can bear. Not, oh my gosh, I've offended you, Lord. I didn't listen to you. I've, I've blatantly disobeyed you. No. He's like, this is not what I want. It's all about me. And then you get to verse 15. The Lord God said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord God set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, in the east of Eden. So God put a mark on Cain to protect him. God just is so gracious to Cain. He's not kicking him out. Who left? 
Cain left. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, not pressed in and sought him, but he went out. He just said, I'm out of here. And God's like, I'll protect you. This isn't about me trying to destroy you, Cain. This is about me protecting you and loving you. And, and Cain is like, I hate you now. I don't want a God who disciplines me. I want a God who does what I want. So he says, I'm out of here. Nod means wandering. You guys seen the bumper sticker? Not all who wander are lost. I'll be quiet now. Verse 17, then Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after his son Enoch. So there's the verse that every skeptic and critic of the Bible is like, wow, did this happen? How did Cain get his wife? And the answer is very simple. In chapter 5, it says that Adam and Eve had many sons and daughters, and so he married his sister. And you're like, ew, that's icky. Well, it wasn't back then. You had no options. What are you going to do, marry a monkey? And plus, there was no genetic mutation, so there wouldn't have been the danger for genetic things that there are now. It wasn't for thousands of years that God implemented a rule that you should not marry close relatives. Okay, so this it is literally no problem at all, and it's foolish that people use that argument to say that the Bible is unreliable. They had a baby named Enoch, built a city, and after Enoch... Um, they built the city named after Enoch. And when people begin to build their own city instead of walking with the Lord, they go down the tubes. Okay, Cain, he's like, he's like my family, we're going this way. We're out of here. We're going to go wander around and see if we can figure out something better to do. And his son, he builds a, a city. He's all about his own life. I'm going to build a city. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to church. Who's got time for a relationship with God? God's so demanding anyway. Isn't this not what we deal with in the world today? It's just a bunch of canes. We are. So verse 18, it says, Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methusael, and Methusael begot Lamech. And Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. I'm going to explain to you guys the meaning of the Hebrew of these names because it's very important for us. I wish we all spoke Hebrew and we could just read it in Hebrew, but we can't. But I'm going to read to you guys the, name, the meaning of these names because there's a whole lot of depth there. Irad means wild donkey. Okay, so he's just crazy. So Cain's family line, we're going to see, shows a progression of walking away from the Lord and what that means in your family, okay? Irad means wild donkey. You don't have a relationship with God. You're never going to church. Your kid is, your grandson is acting like a wild kid and you're wondering why? Probably because you have no relationship with the Lord. Mahujael means blot out that Yahweh is God. Whoa. So now are they not just, now his family is like, we're just going to be wild and crazy. But the next generation says, you know what? We're so wild and crazy, we want to blot out that anyone even remembers God. Then the next generation, Methushael, is, says they die who are of God. They're saying, why does it pay to follow God? Why is anyone even following God? And then you get to Lamech which means poor and lowly. 
So then they're just like, my life is lame. I've been away from God. I don't really have meaning in my life. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to figure out how to party. I'm going to take two wives. So Lamech is a guy who just wants to party, right? But we see here, even in their names, we see a lesson for us. You have two wives, one Zilla and one Ada. Ada, his first wife, means ornament. His second wife, Zilla, means shabbiness or temptress. A cheap, loose lady is what it, what it means. And it's, it, it pictures for us the principle that you can't serve two masters. You can't love two things. You can only love one. And if there's anything else in your life that is more important to you than your wife, your wife will become shabby. There will be one ornament in your life. If there's anything more important to you than God, then God will become shabby, not worth it to you. We can only love one thing. And then that, if, we, if we love God, then he'll fill us with a natural love for everyone else. But if we don't love God, we, we can't even love each other. It's impossible. So now we get to verse 20. And Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And, there's, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. Then Lamech show, said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my excuse me, speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, and even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-seven. All right, so we have some, some more children in here. And it's very interesting. God gives us another lesson, okay? See, this, these generations are passing, and people are, are, first their identity is just that we're crazy. We're wild. Then their identity is we really don't like God. Then we don't like people who like God. And then they're just like, I'm kind of depressed, and, and I'm going to try to party. And then, then they like, you know what? i got to figure out what to do. So they have these three sons. Okay, and the first son is Jabel, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and livestock. This is the guy who says, I'm going to be a self-made man. You know, there is more to life than just being crazy and hating God. So I'm going to find my identity in my industry, in, in what I can do and what I can produce. I don't need any other people. I'm going to go out and live in a tent, and I'm going to produce. And that's where I'm going to find my identity. Instead of dwelling with God, which takes time and costs you productiveness in the world's eyes, just put it all into your career. So the world is starting to find its identity in other things. Things that have maybe some inherent value, but compared to the Lord, they're, they're actually fighting against what God wants for us. Then you have Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. They're the guys that say, you know, don't worry about anything. anything. Just entertain your time away. Entertain your life away. Prime time, play time, all the time. Games, movies, shows. If your heart was excited to just be entertained when you got home from work or on the weekend, you might be Jubal. Jubal's where we get the word jubilation. Jubilee. Carry more about your jubilation than your real, sincere relationship with Jesus. Don't let this form of rebellion trick you. It's all a waste if it's not done 
with the Lord and for the Lord. If your heart longs for entertainment, you're Jubal. You're finding your identity in being entertained or producing music or whatever is beautiful, art. And then you get to Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain, was this, he was instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And this relates in the Bible to creating weaponry, to creating and working with metal to produce strong things. And he's saying, if I'm not going to work my way to the top with my career, and I'm not going to entertain my way through life, I'll just try to force other people to serve me through power and influence. That's what will satisfy me. Being able to just be stronger than other people. Wow. Well, then we get to 25, verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son to him named Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. See, Adam, he watches this life. Adam is living a long time. He's seeing all these generations. He's seeing the pain and he's seeing, he, he's watching his children just so wreck their lives. And Adam is grieved. And he's like, God, would you help? Would you save? And, and so God gives him Seth. Adam doesn't even see Cain as his son anymore. He's like, Cain is not the one that God has appointed for me. So he names Seth appointed, which means appointed. And as for Seth, Tim also was a son born, and he named him Enosh. And then this chapter ends with a really awesome verse that says, And then men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And another way you could translate that, translate that is then begin, people begin to call themselves by the name of the Lord. Seth was a godly man. His family had an identity, and their identity was God only. A godly identity. They had jobs just like everyone else. Maybe some of them made flutes or played flutes, and maybe some of them worked as police officers or made weapons. or I don't care what they did. They had jobs like everyone else, but it was not their identity. It was not who they were and what they lived for. They lived for a relationship with God. And this godly line would continue down Enosh. And, and you're going to get all these guys, and then the eighth is going to be Noah. A godly line of men who want to know the Lord and who want to walk with the Lord. We got Enoch in there and Methuselah. Man, you got some awesome guys in there. Their identity was in God. While walking through the forest one day, a man found a young eagle who had fallen out of its nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard, where it soon learned to eat and behave like a chicken. One day, a naturalist passed by the farm and asked why it was that the king of all the birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with chickens. And the farmer replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. Since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. Still in it, the heart of an eagle, replied the naturalist, and, and can surely it, be, it can be taught to fly. He lifted the eagle toward the sky and said, you belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. 
The eagle, however, was confused and did not know who, it, who he was. And seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with them again. The naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again, saying, You are an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of his unknown self and the world and jumped down once more to the chicken food. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain, and there he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him again, saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around and back towards the barnyard and up to the sky. The naturalist lifted him straight towards the sun, and it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly he stretched out his wings and with a triumphant cry soared into the heavens. And it may be that the eagle still remembers the chickens with nostalgia. It may even be that he occasionally revisits the barnyard. But as far as anyone knows, he has never returned to lead the life of a chicken. We don't find our identity where we are or where we grew up or what happens to us or what jobs we have. We are eagles. We are chosen. We are called by the name of God and adopted as his kids. Live like it. Spend all your time with your father. Don't waste a day, an hour, a minute on anything else. Your career doesn't matter as much as your relationship with God. Your entertainment doesn't matter as much as your relationship with God. Your power and influence in this world does not matter as much as your closeness to your father. Only what Jesus has done for you matters. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and we're just going to look real quick at what Jesus, we're going to remind ourselves, we went through Ephesians um, last year, and, and we looked at this in depth, but in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 3 through 8, we see just a wonderful description of what Jesus does for us, how he makes us matter, how he makes us eagles. How does that happen? It says, blessed be the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, made you an eagle in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption by sons in Christ Jesus himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. And then verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance. These are all the ways he made you an eagle, blessing you with every spiritual blessing, choosing you to be holy without blame, adopting you according to his will and, and making you accepted, bringing you redemption and forgiveness and wisdom and prudence and an inheritance. All these things are not the life of a chicken. And yet we live as a, amongst chickens. And we're so excited for American Idol to come on. Or so excited for football. Or we're so excited when we get a promotion to have power or our career is going well. And it's chickens. It's just chicken feed. None of that matters when it, we look at this. 
This is so far in the heavens compared to this world. Our life is hidden with Christ. Jesus has blessed us in every way possible. He's given you his own inheritance. He's saying, you're so far not a chicken, it's just ridiculous to see you caring about chicken feed. Come be with me. We call ourselves by his name like Seth did. I am a Christian. I am a son of God, adopted by the heavenly father, by the work of Jesus Christ. My identity is only that. That's all I am. But you're a cop. Well, but I'm a Christian. That really doesn't matter. I could stop being a cop tomorrow. Oh, but your job is really important. You're the president. Yeah, I don't really care. Wouldn't it be great if that was the attitude? He has done so much for us. Let us lift our eyes to him and nothing else. Don't worry about anything else. If he feeds the sparrows, he is going to feed you. He's going to take care of you. Let's all stand up. We're going to sing one more song and just proclaim to Jesus that he is all that we need.